0: The irony of traveling halfway across the world to interview, for the first time, someone who lives in my hometown. But that's the way these things go, I suppose. So yes, I'm halfway across the world in Japan, and my rented room was not nearly as spacious or comfortable as I'd hoped, and it only had one rickety table and a barely closable window, so all of that is to say that I apologize for all the ambient noise in this podcast. The cars, the random knocks of neighbors through thin walls, you get my meaning but more importantly, that guest in my hometown, which would be Gossamer Rosen, currently living and working in Brooklyn, New York. If you know Gossamer, you know that they are a creator of some of the most unique aesthetic images around. Gossamer's Tiger Bob 1000 piece project is their best known work, but whether it's Tiger Bob's rooted in Korean aesthetics or Mramo, which was Gossamer's homage to the West African Akar people, which I'm sure I mispronounced, or their IRL fabric and tattoo art, Gossamer has demonstrated a long-standing interest in embracing specific cultural affects, something crypto art with its mad dash towards flattened internet everythingness always seems, in my eyes, eager to leave behind. And so this is naturally a podcast about culture, our own cultures, the cultures that form our identities, celebrating and centering and plumbing those cultures in artistry, why that's important, and why crypto art shied away from that. We talk even more about having both a physical and digital practice and how that affects the artistry itself, this push and pull between them. This is a great podcast, and Gossamer is a great lively mind. You'll enjoy our conversation, I'm sure, and now I invite you to do so on this week's Mocha Live podcast. Good afternoon, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Max Cohen. I am going to be your host today for this episode of the Mocha Live podcast. It is uh, eight thirty nine a.m. here where I am in Tokyo, Japan, fourteen hours ahead of my normal digs in Brooklyn, New York. But joining me, uh, I believe, from Brooklyn, New York, uh, our very special guest today, um, Gossamer Rosen, a digital artist, fabric artist, tattoo artist, illustrator. Uh, Gossamer, you as far as I know, do every single thing under the sun while also somehow running a brick and mortar storefront in Brooklyn. So anyways, how are you today?
1: Hey, I'm doing great. Um, yeah. So for the time difference, it's uh, about 6, 640 PM here in Brooklyn. It's unfortunately very dark out because of daylight savings and <laughs> i'm sad but um I, I'm, I'm excited that you're having a nice cheery morning i'm kind of trying to match the mood here with the lighting so we got that going on
0: well i'm about two hours from having to go to tokyo station and navigating my oh, way boy. through yeah you know, what is like a I don't know, it's a whirlwind of, of people who are looking at me funny um, with like three giant bags. So we'll see what happens. But anyways, that's not what we're talking about today. I mean, I guess we can touch on it, but. Um, so Gossamer, you are known most widely probably for your Tiger Bob project, um, which is this thousand piece collection of uh, East Asian influenced Tiger heads, um, which you use to launch uh, a Tiger Bob brand, right? With um, That's the brick and mortar store in new york i believe is very tiger bob focused and please correct me if i'm wrong but one of the reasons i wanted to have you on and have this conversation is because tiger bobs like so much of your work are really rooted in like a specific cultural tradition that you can trace back from the aesthetics to the source and you say this you say the inspiration is from east asian contemporary art and folklore mythology religion and spirituality and old world textiles Um, so a lot of like very specific influences and I know you've written about why your work is grounded in that cultural tradition. My question is a little bit uh more universal than that. Like why ground so much of your of your work in specific cultural traditions in general? Why is that so important like a pathway for you as an artist?
1: Yeah, for me, um a lot of all my work is like in some way autobiographical. Um and it's also in some way exploring my identity as a person. Um, So that involves both, you know, my ethnicity, I'm Filipino and African-American, my, um, you know, gender identity, I'm a transgender, non-binary person, um, and um, all those things are explored in my work. And, you know, I really use my work, like, it's, it, it feels, it feels kind of crazy, but it's like, that's just how I communicate with the world. Like, it's how I understand the world that I'm in and, like, myself, too. I'm able to, like really communicate better with myself when I make this work and just see it on paper and just, you know, the process of creating these things br- bridges, more of a connection with both myself and like other things and other people, other groups of people, other, you know, places throughout the world.
0: It makes sense. I I, I think it's so interesting to me because it's relatively unique, I think, in crypto art in general, because you know, and, and this is not going to apply to everyone because immediately I'm thinking of people like Emi Kusano uh, from Japan or Osanachi from Nigeria who maintain really powerful and palpable like cultural like influence um, in their work. But so much of crypto art seems like it's insistent on like deleting any aspects of a national or a geographic culture and prefers uh-huh. to like live in kind of this like internet middle ground that's like geography agnostic. Do you see that as like a positive or a negative or TBD? I
1: I do think, and yeah, I really do think that um, as people coming together from different cultures and backgrounds and also the amount of anonymity you can have online, that's like just a, a new cultural, like social phenomenon for being, for, you know, existing on the internet, having a presence on the internet, whether it's, um, You know, just having a social media profile or just having a website or it's there's a new way to try to navigate the world and try to maybe in some cases avoid the topics that um, are really difficult for us as humans to um, navigate when it comes to our differences and the things that set us apart. And I understand that reaction. And I think it's it's definitely reactionary. I think it's it's Mm -hmm. it's not like intentional, I don't think to, like, so-called erase these, these ties that we have um, to our, our backgrounds and ethnicities. And there's also, obviously, like, lots of people have fears about sharing certain things about themselves because it, it does get people persecuted, you know, LGBTQIA people, Black, Brown, people of color. It's, you know, presenting yourself as an individual as and, like, asserting who you are as your identity is, like not something that everybody has the privilege of being able to do safely in the world um and i think that the internet has definitely helped allow people to both um find a way to safely share their identity like even more strongly than like in person perhaps and it also does the opposite it allows people to be completely anonymous just completely separate their real life presence from their online presence and it helps them create like another meta version of themselves which i think is also another way to, to explore the world creatively
0: yeah sure i the other day uh on the podcast my co-host colborn and i were speaking about um the cypherpunk manifesto or the cypherpunks manifesto eric Hughes's document from the 90s uh, that was really instrumental in the creation of crypto in general um, and it talks a lot about privacy in the like the electronic age but the big crux is that privacy is the ability to selectively share information about oneself. Um, And everything you were saying makes so much sense, but it's also a little bit sad that there is so much choice, even in the space that when there is an ability to share cultural information or, you know, one's background, there is a reticence to do so. Do you think that makes crypto art in general worse off or just different, right? Because that's never been a choice before that artists have really had en masse to totally hide behind some kind of smoke screen.
1: I do think that there is a history of anonymity in in the art world i don't I personally don't know a lot about it um I haven't like read a lot about like the history of artists having like a pseudonym and and working in under the shadows, but there is definitely a long history of artists pre the internet age um taking on a different persona. I think that's also been a bit well documented for a, a lot of women working in writing and poetry especially when they weren't allowed to do certain things um, you know in the 1800s and, and uh, early 1900s so there's theres there's there is a lot of that that I think has become more prevalent because you have more ease of doing so with the internet um, but I think it's always been a subject of uh, for throughout human history to have some level of anonymity and control over how much of yourself you're able to share with other people.
0: Yeah, I love uh, immediately. I was also thinking of the 19th century writers, the George Eliot's, the Isaac Denison's, right, right. Uh-huh. Um, who had to hide behind you know, the smokescreen of being male in order to even get a foot in the door in like the literary world. But I think from like a cultural perspective, it's interesting because. You were mentioning before how it's kind of vital for you to use these cultural influences of yourself because it's their auto, your work is autobiographical and because it's self-exploratory, and if crypto art is lacking that and mass because given a choice to share one's background within their art or within their personage, they're not doing so. Well, then the resultant you know aesthetic kind of the output, the collective output, that's going to take a, an entirely different turn because it's so subtextual then to find where the culture is and unless you're reading it like that you know it's uh, unless you have an eye towards reading it for those kind of cultural subversions there's a real chance that they get lost
1: i was just gonna say i think that with the way crypto art now is curated it's also harder to find the people who tend to be more underground because they're purposely down here here, Mm -hmm. like hiding. Um, and also at, you know, since the 2021 bull run, there's still, there's still like a very big, um, very big, um, attention span to, um, more hype driven projects and observing how that scene has been changing since 2021 has been, um, providing a little bit more light to more of the other, um, hills and valleys that are, that are maybe not as, you know, project and um, commercial driven. Um, and I think that does open up more possibility of learning about who else is in the scene and what they're building. But it's it's so hard to sift through what is available in crypto because it is decentralized. And that's the purpose of it. Um, but it does make it a lot difficult to understand exactly who's participating and, and what's getting built because you can't possibly see everything in your feed um, and not everyone is sharing in their feed Um, I guess a lot of that is true in the regular art world but when you're talking about like the capital a art world like there is definitely like a a more stringent historical like system of like categorizing like who's in the space who's relevant who isn't and I think that crypto still trying to figure that out which is really cool and I think that's an interesting paradigm to be living and working in right now mm-hmm. is that you know we had this big boom in um well one of the more recent the most recent big boom I don't know it's been like happening for a while but i joined one personally um and that really started to bring more Me eyes well. into the space right yeah so a lot of us joined back then and um yeah I, and and for those who are who are trying to figure out how to curate this thing how to how to really like parse out who is here, it's still gonna take a while to settle. And I think that we will come to some, some, some way. I, I hope it's still different from the, what we see in the final world right, right now. Cause it, it has to be, we have to try to make it different. I only hope.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, of course. Um, and you probably have more of a grounding in that than I do simply because, you know, you work in tactile mediums as well. And I, I want to touch on that a bit later, but I want to keep on this idea of culture because I think that there's this push and pull. Like, I, th- I think we're going to end up, or crypto art is going to end up broken from the traditional art world. Even if it did everything the same on its face, the simple just nature of like where this information is communicated and like the ability to have anonymity itself is kind of revolutionary just towards what the nuances of an art movement could be. I mean, I think there's so much more, at least in my experience and from what I've seen, so much more of a, norm that the artist is going to be seen beside their work in the traditional art world um you know maybe they have are wearing a get-up or something to preserve anonymity but generally speaking their real name and their real you know date of birth and you know the real country of origin are all kind of displayed with the piece and yet and from my vantage point and please correct me if you or, or you oh, know, stop me if, if you think i'm wrong but the crypto art in having this anonymous and kind of culture agnostic culture or like geography agnostic culture identity that's probably the better word identity agnostic culture is going to create a new kind of culture that is going to be oh. rich and, and going to be textured but it's going to be you know based in this kind of central you know behind the glass screen and that's where that culture is going to be coming from and emanating from that we're taking it into the um, physical world and so my question to you is do you think it's more important to preserve these older versions of culture or should we just forge ahead full bore in creating these new ones
1: um i think it's fine to just make something new like i i mean i personally don't i personally don't think there's any point in trying to police how people are acting in the crypto world and i don't and i think that it's really interesting that there happens to be a majority of people who do want to keep more of an anonymous uh, nature to their work and i think that from the perspective of being able to look back on the type of work that's being made and not knowing that much about certain uh, artists and their, their background or like what led their work to be what it is. I think that's actually kind of interesting. Like let's look, uh, look back on these anonymous works and the anonymous artists and, and not have enough context as to why they were created the way they are, but they do exist. And I think that's something kind of interesting to be able to take in and like, you know from like a, a historical perspective and 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 you know our art, art art does never never exist in a vacuum so it's what is interesting is these things did come from somewhere but we don't know where but they still are here and people will reference them into the future forever and it's it's interesting having a source that is so non-source basically because yeah. Cause it doesn't tie back to what it previously was. The only thing we can do is like compare it to other work that may be similar that we have context about, but I think that does open up some interesting um, discussions um, about how to talk about this work in the future. So I think that's, I think it's cool. I mean, it's chaotic, but
0: yeah, no, it's very chaotic. And it introduces (laughs) a really powerful new element, which is that the audience has a ton more agency into imbuing the work with, you know, this or that kind of cultural significance, because if the artist is going to be hidden and if the cultural you know, inner workings of their sensibilities are going to be hidden, but obviously they're still there because we can't avoid them, right? Or the identity-based inner workings of our, I guess, ideologies that we end up putting into our work are still going to be there, unavoidable. And even if you're trying to quash them, that's still like an intention that's going to point, again, back to the source. But- if there's a break and a wall is put up where the audience can't see past that because of a lack of picture or a lack of you know real name or a lack of background information, then the audience gets to kind of paint half of the picture on the back end. Which, right. yeah, again, it just makes it so much more chaotic um, to use yeah. your your words and so much more interesting because I can approach any work by an anonymous artist and it could suddenly be reflective of me as much as as of somebody else in a much more like palpable way.
1: Yeah, and I think that one of the other things that's that's interesting about some of these anonymous works is the movement to CC0 and um, a lot of more creative commons and a lot more derivative work based on that work that happens so quickly. Like within minutes sometimes people are making derivatives of like something that becomes memeable and like just memes in general too are like very like anonymously crowdsourced in a way which is becoming a I mean it's legitimately becoming a part of art and culture because it because it is it's just part of it now because and that only exists because of the internet really because of the speed that we can transfer and and share information and collectively have an input on it Um, and I think that that bring something interesting to the table when it comes to crypto art and digital art and, and something that wasn't possible with like web art back in the nineties and early two thousands. So I think that, I think there's a lot of chaos that's going to be fun to like sift through in the next yeah. 10, to 10 years, just like, you know, the shortest shortest term, like looking back on this time period. So I think there's going to be a lot.
0: Yeah. I, uh, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. I think it's unavoidable. One of the things I find myself so drawn to is. Um, beginning to pontificate about how art history is going to conceptualize crypto art, conceptualize this moment, um, because it's so it seems so hard for scholarship in general, or at least traditional scholarship to attach itself to meme culture, because meme culture is like, it's constantly defying, purposefully defying ways to categorize it. Um, It doesn't want to be understood. It's anti-authoritarian by nature. So as soon as, you know, there's a treatise or an idea that is put out in order to capture it and explain it, it moves itself entirely so as to avoid falling into that category. And I do kind of feel like crypto art has that same tendency. It like is desperate to not be understood, which from my perspective as a writer and podcaster about this space is deeply frustrating, but also it's kind of endlessly interesting, right? To sift through that chaos.
1: Yeah, for sure I, I I agree I think that's definitely the consensus of how how the speed at which we are taking in information and like recurgitating it and absorbing it and sharing it um, really becomes its own its own like life form at this point which I, I also think it's it's definitely like the the access that we have is also and like what we're doing with it is like a, a deep response to like the textbook the textbooks and encyclopedias we all used to have to sift through that told us exactly the information that was available. And now you can get things from all different sources. And obviously that's very powerful in both positive and negative ways, you know, Mm -hmm. um, with with the different things that um, are going on with information and and incorrect and false information. And um, it it becomes really difficult to understand what reality is. And I I really think that's only going to get worse. but it, it is definitely uh, never a dull moment, <laughs> at
0: least. I love that you mentioned the textbook thing because that is kind of antithetical to to what I see before me, just because like, if you own a textbook, everyone has access to that information. It's there. With crypto art, and I think this is why it's so brilliantly and beautifully reflective of internet culture. So like, you remember Kevin? Like the, the, yeah, the zombie thing? Yeah,
1: the Kevin meme.
0: <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So like...
1: Game of that, me, it's
0: so bad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What was that, Pixelmon, right? So, like, yeah, that's not printed in any textbook, right? It's not like that information is not being mass produced and peddled to everybody who finds their way into crypto art. It's simply this continuing in joke that the further from it we get, the less sense it makes to less people.
1: Right. Yeah. So
0: I think art Gnome has it as his profile picture on Twitter right now, and that's going to like that information becomes itself like rare and valuable because simply having that kind of information and being made aware of that again, because it's outside of this like single textbook cataloging of information. Mm -hmm. I I don't know where I'm going with that. It's just interesting.
1: Yeah. I mean, what's interesting about that is that every single little, every single little circle of, of people that come together over like a cultural object, whether it's a game or you know, sports, like, they they all have those little weird things that make no sense outside of that space. I mean, for, you know, what was it? For MMOs and stuff, it was, like, Leroy Jenkins was, like, a, yeah. a meme from a long time ago. But, like, how many people, like, I mean, I think that that's, like, it's beca- it's lo- it's aged long enough for, like, that to become more written in a textbook than, like, the most recent thing of, like, the Kevin meme like Kevin Pixelmon, but I feel like it's going to get there, like, which is interesting. It's like, there are certain things that live and die based on how much, how many people know about it and how many people share that information. And it's not necessarily because, um, you know, it's been deemed good enough be, to be categorized, but it's it's interesting how those things get chosen to be, to be, um, to live last, like last longer than yeah. like a, Few days or a few months or a few weeks or something.
0: But once they do get chosen, it feels like then they're railed against, right? Then they're almost like left behind because they're no yeah, longer interesting
1: now. Yeah, because it feels like well, now it's actually relevant, but but it, it's not like a joke anymore. Once it's like said, oh, this is a big part of culture. This thing that happened, this little stupid little meme. It's like weird. It becomes weird then. and yeah, well, it's not like it's not counterculture anymore.
0: Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. That's I think the best possible way to put it, Southspin counterculture. So I want to shift gears instead of talking your ear off about culture, at least all day. Um, I want to talk about your practice and something that I think is really interesting about it, which is its dichotomy between physical and digital. Um, because that space, that like liminal space between the two is something I'm fascinated with as somebody who, you know, as a writer, I have one practice and it takes place in one arena and it's always the same, no matter what you're doing. It always looks the same. It feels the same. You approach it the same. Uh, Maybe others have a different experience, but um, you wrote something that I loved about your textile and tattooing practice, practice, which was um, the slow process of hand, sewing, hand, carving, tattooing and machine knitting is meticulous and repetitive, a type of meditation that is integral, if not more important than the finished work, which I thought was beautiful, but it also is so alien to everything in crypto art, which is not meditative. It is hair trigger, hyper fast reactionary loud so I'm curious why the turn towards the blockchain which is the opposite of like a tactile medium
1: yeah that's true like that's probably why my engagement's so low because like I I make art so slowly a lot of my work like I'll like it'll take like a few years for like people to be be able to see the connection to like that past piece of work to like other things I'm making now and like that's just how I work like it's it's weird but yeah you know what got me um what got me connected to blockchain wasn't how fast paced it is but um just the technology aspect of it so i think it's interesting that you know as an artist i've been posting my work and sharing my work with in a digital portfolio since 2005 whether that's like deviantart or Instagram or Tumblr or my own website, it's still some kind of digital portfolio instead of mm-hmm. it being a digital catalog that I give to somebody or a, a, a handful of slides that I give to a, a gallery, uh, which is the old way that people used to to pitch their stuff, right? Sure. <laughs> like the good old slide archive stuff. Um, but yeah, I just thought like, if I'm already digitizing my work, for all this time, I may as well have a way to both distribute it securely and, um, you know, and keep track of it securely. Um, And it just, it just made sense to me. It was like literally didn't feel like I was changing anything I was already doing. If I have a scan of a drawing I did and I post it onto DVR in 2005, the only thing I have that I have a record of actually sharing that piece is me personally with that physical thing saying or remembering to date it if i did that um if i still have the physical thing or i have the timestamp and that post that exists on a url on that website so unless your piece is on chain which is even more secure i think it's even more like solid provenance because the entire data of the art piece is actually in ethereum for example I, you know that url that points to the piece that i made and all of its metadata is like in this little package already which is excellent you know it's yeah. so like now i have like proof that I, this thing is here i have all the information for it i don't have to have all these stupid papers all over the place my office is just like a bunch of drawings just in piles i don't know what to do with them sure. but if they're on ethereum it's like it's like oh i could just go there like even if like open sea dies or something like there will be uh, there's still a way to look at what's there it it's doesn't nice. exist on, you know what I mean like yeah. um so long as like our we and and
0: yeah <laughs> I, I that exists sure.
1: <laughs> but you know but um but in some way at least th- th- we're a step closer to being able to document digital objects um and you know they're just as physical as digital things in my in the same way they just take up a lot less space you know uh, which is nice and i think that that's that's pretty interesting so I, I that was the first reason why i was very um very interested in in nfts the second reason um was also because i think it's interesting how much easier it is to digitally collaborate with people um and have the provenance of that collaboration i think that's pretty interesting especially when you're thinking about something more technology based rather than just like, if I did like an exquisite corpse in person with like a couple people and sent it in the mail and had this awesome cool drawing that was done. It's mm-hmm. like, you could do that digitally now. Like everything's digital now. Like you can all, you know, how many there were like, um, there's like a pixel, I forget what it's called. There's like a pixel paint thing that everyone could draw together And each of them get published. Like that's just like essentially kind of well, it's not an exclusive course because it's not blind, but it's still like this collaborative piece. Like and I feel like technology brings together lots of those different ways to create all kinds of different kinds of art and programs that that is something that you couldn't really do before unless you had a giant budget and somebody who has like a lot of money or a company was willing to publish that thing because it was gonna make some money. For example, video games you know like it's really you know obviously like technology has come it's it's been a lot easier there's a lot more tools for people to work with gaming and to create their own games but you know i remember having my n64 when i was 10 writing a letter to nintendo saying hey i want to make a video game with you guys how do i do that (laughs) i really did do that (laughs) Uh-huh. I really didn't do that I was so interested in making video games someday i um I was this little kid and I was just like how do I make game-? like how do you do it it's like oh well it's like a big company and it's not just your game like it's it's like <laughs> it's like a big thing you know um I even went so far as to um i I had worked in a, a production department for harmonics um they used oh, cool. to be part activision um during the time that they were releasing rock band and it was so interesting for the first time i was like well i'm doing it i'm doing the video game thing and, and all i was doing was just telling artists what to do and i was like this doesn't feel like what i wanted to do. Sure. <laughs> like it was like this is and then i was just like all right um there's got to be another way how do how do we do these things and then there's blockchain and then there's there's the internet and there's you know, something th- that that allows people to to come together with all kinds of resources, and is it's kind of a, it was it was totally astounding the amount of things that people were creating together. These massive projects that mm-hmm. were being put together and dropped, and and you know, now the few years have passed, seeing what people have built after just having you know coming coming together over something like that. I just think that's so interesting. Um, And I think that 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 really provides a lot of room for artistic um, creativity and a lot of artistic learning. I feel like I've learned the most about all different kinds of artwork and and all different kinds of processes of making just from being in crypto. And um, and just being around other people who are willing to collaborate, willing to share information. You know, going to art school and um, so much of the commercial like art world is like gate-kept <laughs> like yeah. how much of the fashion world is gate-kept i don't come from a fashion background but i launched a fashion brand not because i have a background in fashion but because that's the medium that i want some of my work to exist in um, and you don't just have access to that world in in some of the traditional um the traditional uh, worlds that 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 are outside of this of um, crypto and being able to share these things i think uh, that sentiment of of sharing and collaboration has been another reason why I was so drawn to, bi- to, to, to not to Bitcoin. To,
0: <laughs> to yeah, maybe too. Well, you know, I, <laughs> there's a couple of things I want to touch on there. The collaboration thing is so palpable. Um, and I think it's so important. I mean, I, I can think of so many examples like um, Zach Yanger, uh, the founder of super rare, his roses on super rare and his whole like minted collection on super rare is pieces of his style mixed with another artist style. And it's like Hackatow and tons of different artists and each of them have a different twisted vacancy. And like all of these OG artists, each one has like a piece where they're collaborating with roses. And then there's um a very kind gentleman who I had in my podcast at the week, Emlo, who's doing a collaboration recently. And it's like a piece, I think it started with um, an artist named Andre Siegelboim and it went from person to person to person and became more and more unrecognizable from the original as it went through. I just think it's wonderful that like you can have the ability to actually send work back and forth and have it be collaborated on this decentralized way without real care for anything, but willingness to participate. I think we're way on the early side of like what decentralized work is going to look like. I think there's a world in which, you know, all of these kind of web three based entities are, kind of having open calls for work and whoever can submit it on the blockchain in time or announce they're working on it on the blockchain in time, they'll be met with rewards. And that will just be how certain entities continue to go. Like you could have a video game created in this way where you have, you know, somebody who's obviously very forward thinking, but with a giant list of to do's and just various people from the community who are interested in doing it are going to like, sign themselves up using blockchain transactions and submit work using blockchain transactions and it'll all end up in one final repository. And you'll be able to know who contributed on that game, even if people aren't necessarily invited or if there's no corporate business structure around it.
1: Exactly, yeah. I think about and I feel like they've done a lot of work that has has shown um, how something, how a decentralized structure um, c- can work um, pretty well with um, distributing funds and, and proliferating their IP. And I think that, that that's been a pretty interesting experiment, even, you know, despite, you know, what is hap what, um, the, despite like the fork situation, which I also think is very interesting. I think that's a necessary part of the experiment as well. Um, and, and, and seeing how these things play out, I think is, is really important in the space. But I, I feel like there, there are a number of different experiments that need to be done over the next um, five to 10 years at minimum for us to kind of start finding like a, a method that works um and it will definitely get there i, I think it, it's so interesting seeing all this play out though for sure
0: yeah yeah i think it just need like more layer two what's it called like layer two blockchain interactions where you can like move up and down chains so you can you know be working on ethereum but doing something on polygon or i don't right. know right yeah
1: polygon is, yeah, it's, yeah where it's
0: where it's cheap and fast and then you can come back come back to ethereum for the ledger but um again this is Like I said before we started, I am not the tech guy at Mocha. And this is probably where the uh, edges of my understanding lie. I want to move back to this idea of physical work versus digital work. Because you were saying that some of your work, you know, you wanted to make it in, in fabric. And that again, it's you know, it's physical. You can't change it after the fact. And there's the digitized world is just by nature so much bendier and stretchier and more fluid. And just going from like within your own work, you know, you have obviously this Tiger Bob symbol, which if you're going to print it on clothing, there it is in whatever form it is. But as I'm like looking through your work and I'm going to you know, the Tiger Bobs themselves or to the, the Squish Kitties, which um, preceded it, the eight like one of ones, which uh-huh. were animated, they're all changing color, right? They're all kind of like bendy. The symbol becomes, I don't know, so changeling. Are you able to express yourself differently? when you go into a piece knowing it's going to be digital versus physical and then sorry follow-up question do you go into a piece knowing it's going to be digital or physical or does it kind of direct you
1: right so I, i work in a number of different mediums and the main purpose of that is like the physical purpose of that is so i don't um destroy my body so i have like i actually have like a hand injury right now i have like a carpal um i have a tunnel type syndrome in my elbow which makes it really hard for me to um i have like a pinched nerve essentially and i've had that for a number of years i've been trying to solve that so i also am acutely aware of like you know my body and like needing to take care of it because i have a spinal fusion that i've Mm. had since i was 15. so you know living with chronic pain um and you know trying to be aware of like um, the types of work I'm making and being like being sure to take care of myself has um, led me when I was at college to really push to learn as many different kinds of techniques as I could um, so that I could switch back and forth between mediums and that helps with preventing things like repetitive motion motion syndrome on the more conceptual part of why I do it is because. Being able to take the same motif or the same design or same concept and switching back and forth between between mediums helps refine and inform the piece itself, regardless of what medium it's in. So for example, I have Tiger Bob and I have an illustrated version of it that's more like a hand-drawn style. And then I have a pixel version of it, which is more digital version and going back and forth between taking something that's illustrated and um, like breaking down that image into like very small blocks to represent that image allows me to take the same image that I can draw. Obviously I drew this tiger like hundreds of times (laughs) since 2019. So, you know, I had drawn it enough where I was like, I feel confident I can create a digital representation in pixels, which then can be scaled up and down Um, all different kinds of ways because it's a set number of uh, blocks. And the reason why Tiger Bob is also pixels is because I can translate this, this grid into textile formats um, beyond just printing. So it can be a woven pattern. It can be a knitted pattern. It can be all different kinds of um, things and it can be scaled up and down and still retain its same shape um and those are all important aspects of why in particular tiger bob was was those two different formats but as far as my other work i do have um i do go back and forth into textiles and into other sculptural work that's mostly because i like working with my hands differently with like for example clay or or um paper mache or or um wood and sculpting something um that way where you're either adding adding uh, material to create a piece or removing material to create a piece allows you to think about the three-dimensional space of an object and the presentation of that piece while it's being made and also um, when it's finished in three-dimensional space It makes you think about the work and the shape of it and the quality of it differently than if you only draw it on paper. I often I often went back and forth between drawing my sculptures and then sculpting my drawings from sketches. And that, you know, helps refine like an idea or a concept that I'm trying to create. And after 10 years I made Tiger Pops. So <laughs> it took that long. Um, but yeah, trying to unite both my illustrative, very rich illustrative style, which has its own style by itself. It, that could just be its own thing. And then, you know, some of my more, textile work, which could be more abstract. I've done a lot of just quilting and it's not representational at all. And a lot of, you know, trying to work with patterns and more traditional patterns and like old world textiles. And again, all completely non-representational. And like finding a way to bring those things together was, was something I spent quite a bit of time on, but yeah. So um, that's why I came up with Tiger Bob for those reasons. It could, it could exist in all these different mediums and still find a way back. Just one motif of course i have many other motifs but this is the central
0: one okay so my my last question for you is a lot sorry (laughs) no 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 it was wonderful i appreciate it i i really do um but you were mentioning that like i I guess we've been mentioning you have these kind of like two halves of your practice and then these symbols are kind of flowing freely in between them you also kind of have these different pseudonyms right gosper rosen and gray And then you are kind of in the middle floating back and forth between them as if, as, you know, like the symbol um, from physical to digital. And I'm wondering if there are these two halves of your, these two various like personalities for two various halves or the two halves of your practice, if that was intentional or.
1: Yeah, so uh, the pseudonyms. So I had been using Gosner Rosen mostly for like my body work for a while, I think since 2010. And when I created my tattoo practice, I was like, I'm just gonna try and separate these accounts because I have like my more Gosner Rosen has all the textile stuff. It has kind of more sketches and like, it was kind of more like work in progress, like fine art stuff, not necessarily all And then I wanted my tattoo stuff to be its own separate thing on Instagram, which is where most of that activity was happening. So I came up with the Greylysian pseudonym for that. And that just ended up kind of becoming its own thing. So that was Greylysian originally before Twitter. And then when I started doing crypto work, I just used the same (laughs) username. So like, (laughs) so there's Greylysian on Twitter, which is the crypto stuff. There's Grelissian on Instagram, which is literally just tattoos. There's Gossamer Rosen on Instagram. That's ta- that's just textiles and stuff. And then there's Tiger Bob, which kind of takes both Grelissian and Gossamer Rosen and puts it together. And now that's Tiger Bob. So I feel like that's also kind of been evolving itself. They're like separate brands, but um, they also, it, it's, it's just all me. I, I don't see it as like... I used to see my personality and my pseudonyms as being separate, but since, since I created Grossman Rosen, it's been, uh, they've, they've all just been like trying to separate like business aspects of stuff I'm doing just for like the sake of having certain different audiences and they may not overlap, but I'm trying to bring them more together. And I think Tiger Bob helps with that because Tiger Bob is going to have all the different kinds of work I do. And obviously they all, all, all three pseudonyms do, but it, it'll be more easy to see if all the work has a similar theme, which is the tiger.
0: I'll be waiting as eagerly as I'm <laughs> sure you are. All right, Gossamer, that was my last question for you. We'll head out in just a bit, but any last words you want to give to uh, the folks watching, listening?
1: Yeah. I just sort of thank everyone for taking time to to listen. I think that these were, I, I really love that you just started with a, a really difficult um, and, and very like wide-ranging topic about culture i think that's a very interesting This thing whole
0: show's st- just an anvil dropped
1: right right <laughs> it was great like starting there was great and talking about being able to zoom out and think about the crypto space is really helpful and and i hope that that is was kind of i hope that my perspective was helpful for for folks who are trying to navigate the space either for the first time or you've kind of been out of the loop and want to kind of like hear of what you know, how, how someone else has been, has been looking at a space, especially another artist, especially if you're a collector. Yeah, I can't wait to, to make more work. And I, I'm really glad for the, um, especially the Tiger Bob fans and holders who have been um, supporting my work all this time I, and, and watching me build is at the pace that makes sense to me. That really means a lot. And I just want to thank everyone for listening to this co- podcast and thank you for inviting me to talk about this. It's been really great having a moment to just kick back and just, just really think hard about what we're doing, especially I'm I'm sitting right here at my desk, like working on a new piece. That's going to be the first one of one I've made for many since like, I guess, I guess since like 2022, I guess it's been a while since like early 22, like
0: (laughs) surprise new work announcement at the end of the podcast. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'll be posting it soon, but yeah, I'm really excited to, to go on the journey.
0: Gossamer, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I'll echo your sentiment. Thank you, everyone who is watching, listening. Um, if you liked what you heard or saw today, please consider subscribing or following this podcast on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts or give us a five-star rating if you like. Uh, we also have a newsletter we'd love for you to follow. It's uh, museumofcrypto.substack.com. Gossamer, you have like eight different Twitter aliases, uh, which you oh, gave earlier, no. unfortunately. Yeah. At Graylician, at Gossamer Rosen, at Tiger Bob. yeah check out Gossamer stuff
1: yeah I mean if you look at Gossamer Rosen you'll find them all but you can mostly if you stick with Tiger Bob you'll find everything else that way it's easier to remember Tiger Bob I think
0: (laughs) the extended Gossamer Rosen cinematic universe (laughs) and then I am at Cohen the Writer on Twitter we are at Museum of Crypto and we will be back with another episode of Mocha Live real soon so thank you again all of you for being with us and take care of yourselves and other people This podcast was edited and produced by me, Max Cohen. A big thanks to Gossamer Rosen for being my guest this week. A big thanks, as always, to Julian Brangold for composing our intro music and Fox for composing our cold open music. Most importantly, a big thanks to all of you for listening, and we hope to see you again real soon on another Mocha podcast.